and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show is presented to you by Gasowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes, whether they involve your wealth, your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our new website at gasowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Robert Port with Gasowitz Frankel. And today we're talking about it's time for mom and dad to move out of the house. What should I do? And now it's time to introduce our guests. We are pleased to have with us today Melissa Benton, co-founder and president, Atlanta Senior Advocates, and Paige Hall, sales specialist, everything but the house. Let's start off first, Paige and Melissa, by uh, asking you to tell our listeners a little bit about your background and in particular the type of services you provide. Let's start with you first, Paige. Well, thank you for having me this morning. Everything But the House is an online estate sale auction website. And where we come in and truly helpful for families is that we can help liquidate all the possessions in a home. It's helpful because everyone in the family, no matter where you are in the world, has transparency as to what's going on and what's coming out of mom's and dad's house. And we can help sort through and process donation, trash removal, empty a house and prepare it for sale and get the best bottom line for selling the items that are sellable. And Melissa? Atlanta Senior Advocates is a free service to families who are going through the challenging time of finding a place for their parent to live when they no longer can stay at home or they have care needs that allow them um, or don't allow them to be able to be at home any longer. Our service has a number of advocates who are on the family side and they work to educate and to help families through the process step by step. In terms of my background, I have gone through this situation personally, step by step from the beginning, about 10 years ago with my grandparents, one who had Alzheimer's and one who was independent. And Atlanta did not offer as many choices as they do today. And it was a very difficult situation from independent living to memory care, hospice, skilled care. Um, We really want to focus on making sure that people find the right place. And that makes the, the biggest difference in the world. Let, let's start off. So the title of today is it's time for mom and dad to move out of the house. What should I do? But let's actually go before the title. How do you know it's time for your mom or your dad or some other loved one that they should be leaving their home? How, how do you come about making that decision as a family? That's the number one question that we get. When is it time to move? I'm not sure. And because it is so vague for every family, what ends up happening is they wait for a crisis situation to happen to really force the hand. If you're listening to um, the information given about looking ahead, the best thing you can do is to start out by honestly talking to your parent. If you listen to what they're feeling First, instead of giving advice, you can go back and have a good sense of where they're coming from. A couple of things you can remember is going to happen every time. They don't want to leave their home. That's a safe place. And at any age or stage in life, no one likes to move. It's a very difficult, challenging, and scary situation. They are going to tell you that they are fine, that they don't need help, and they're going to tell you that they don't want to be around other old people. So you just, those are some, some things that you're going to hear first. And then the conversation turns um, to how the, the child can actually really convince 
guilt or demand that they leave the home. You started with the phrase, and I wrote it down for myself because I thought it was so interesting, having an honest conversation with your parents. Um, I'm not sure any of us have actually succeeded at that, but I think the first part to when you, when you want to know your parents' feelings, how do you actually get the kids to start that conversation even among themselves? Well, it's not likely that the parent is going to ask the kids to start this conversation. It's usually a caregiver, adult child who typically is in the sandwich generation. They're still raising their children. They're working full time. They're running a household. They are also taking care of their parent, checking up, taking them to doctor's appointments. And it's getting to the point where the adult child needs to have peace of mind. They cannot be there all the time. And that's when the conversation comes up. The parent thinks this is going great. <laughs> They're still the parent. The child's taking care of them. This is how it goes. They still run the show. Um, so it is that frankness and saying, okay, we need to talk about what's going on in the future. And Paige, I see you shaking your head, um, which no one else can see on the radio, but I can see it. Um, are you facing the same problems when we're talking about downsizing and all of that, that it's hard to get the kids to start talking or the parents start agree? So how do you approach it? It's always surprising. Some parents say, I don't want my children to be strapped with this and I'm going to be proactive. Many others say they'll deal with it when I'm gone. And that's part of that denial that you talk about. And it is important to start to have the conversation of how you can handle it and then be realistic about what services are there to ease the burden on the child who is in town helping their parents. And I always direct them to someone like Melissa or a service like that, first of all, to start the conversation of next steps. Um, each of you have surely seen common themes, common questions, common concerns of the family, the children, and others have. Can you tell our listeners about the themes that you often see and how people should deal with them? Well, a common theme is, where do I go? Where do I start? And as we tell our families, the number one thing to do is to get off the internet. When you're looking for a place for your parent, a brochure version is not going to help you. It's not going to explain the caregivers that work there, the turnover rates, the leadership of a building or community or home. Those are the most important things. It's always care first. So how do you start? What assistance is available? What about the financial aspect? That's a very hard thing for the child to ask the parents for financial information so they can start the process of finding out what's affordable. And I should always mention that I've never met a child who thought their parents had enough money. They always think their parents have more money and they are then shocked at how irresponsible or how much their parents have actually had the audacity to spend their money on themselves. That's exactly right. And that's actually one of the objections by the senior, by the parent is, I can't afford this. And the child reaction is typically, oh, you can, mom. That's what you've been saving for. This is why you work. This is the direction that, you know, you've been going in. Of course you can. We saw the house and it'll be fine. We'll take care of you. And then, like you said, the financial picture is incredibly different. Now, do you often, Melissa, have someone come in and actually, if you will, run numbers to determine whether it's appropriate? You know, let's say you have X dollars and you're this and thus age. Someone smarter than me could theoretically go on an Excel spreadsheet or perhaps create one. And you have assets, you have income, presumably Social Security, maybe some investment income. 
expenses, incidentals, and at least get a picture. It'll be very tentative, but get a picture of how long the money might last to deal with these kind of questions. Our service does not help them go through the financial combing, so to speak, but we do give ranges of what things will cost and how to plan for the future and future costs because as care needs increase, the cost then increases. This is where we highly recommend a family visit an elder law attorney. And an elder law attorney will help start to get those conversations. They need that financial information. They know what assisted living or personal care homes cost. They need to make sure that a trust needs to be set up or how do we uh, have the finances go as long as possible. And it's especially important for a couple. And when you talk about elder law, you're not talking about using old law or old lawyers. You're talking about somebody who specializes (laughs) in helping the elderly with their legal services? That's exactly right. Elder law is a specific practice uh, that deals with this generation and things that are particular to veterans benefits, um, skilled nursing planning. They deal with power of attorney, uh, healthcare directives, all the things at end of life. So they are different from an estate planner. And I do want to underscore veterans benefits. Mm -hmm. If given our parents age group, if if our parents are in the 85 or greater range, there's a very good chance they served either in World War II, but what's referred to as a time of war. And for purposes of the Korean War, which is very important, that's 1953. And for purposes of Vietnam, it's later. That does, in fact, give some wonderful uh, benefits to our parents that most people don't know about. And it doesn't have some of the same restrictions that Medicaid might have under similar circumstances. Paige, I have a question for you. So Mm -hmm. we were talking about parents sometimes resisting and not want to get out of their house. When you're talking about downsizing, it may not be to move to a different community. It may be to a smaller apartment. It may be to move closer to the kids or whatever. What are some of the parents' concerns when they're faced with the kind of large task or challenge of leaving their house? What are the parents' concerns? Parents' concerns are often, what do I love and will it come with me? And will it fit? And will it still feel like home and feel familiar? And their concerns also are, this is worth X number of dollars this brown antique wood furniture, I can't let it go. But the children know oftentimes what the market really will bear. And there's that tension and that finances of what your return will be and how much you will sell something for because no one wants to just give something away. So there's that very fine line of helping people understand what's realistic and then also what's the service that you need to move into your home. We've we've had a prior show and a guest who was in the antique business. And mm-hmm. surprisingly to me, he pointed out the wide gulf between what, if you will, the the greatest generation thinks mm-hmm. their antiques and whatnot are worth and the younger folks, the millennials. So you must deal with that often, that, that the parents or the senior folks view their assets as very valuable, their possessions as very valuable, but you know, based on experience, that may not happen. The taste of the buying public has changed. It's as simple as looking at how restoration hardware gray wood furniture, bleached things, furniture, that's popular, Pottery Barn. And the children's homes, the adult children's homes are already full or they live across the country or they have a different taste. And parents often are really sad to see that something 
in the family, no one else in the family still wants it. And that can be a really difficult conversation too. Do you have the inverse that the, the parents think that the kids are just trying to get their stuff, like the artwork or the silverware or the china or whatever it is that they may care about but not use, takes a lot of space, but the kids they think are, are after their stuff? Fortunately, I haven't seen that as much as I might have thought. Sometimes that more is in fighting between the siblings, which always is a difficult situation and dynamic. So that's really where it comes in more is sibling to sibling, not so much the parents feeling that pressure. So do you have any tips for, for our listeners about how to deal with the desire to hold on to possessions, the desire or belief that you're going to get a lot more for them than, than you might? Sometimes I start with that emotional connection and talking through, well, tell me when you got this, tell me about this and let them talk a little bit, let him or her talk and relive the memories and why it's important. Some of the items, maybe they picked something up on a trip or it was passed down from their parents. Let them talk through that emotional connection and then come to rest on that and think about you've had, look at all this enjoyment that you've had. You've had lots of years. Let's let another family get some enjoyment out of it too. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Craig Frankel and Robert Port from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gaslewitz Frankel. Our topic today is, it's time for mom and dad to move out of the house. What should I do? With Melissa Benton, co-founder and president, Atlanta Senior Advocates, and Paige Hall, sales specialist, everything but the house. Okay, Melissa, it's your turn. So tell me what some of the parents' concerns are when their children finally start to talk to them about leaving the family house. What are the parents' concerns? I know you pointed out one, which is, I don't want to leave. But let's, let's, let's go to the next one. After I don't want to leave, what are the other concerns that the parents have? You promised you would never put me in a home. The perception of what senior living is like today is not the reality for the senior. So our job then is to explain to the adult children and to the senior by showing them options that are available in Atlanta. Senior living is not your, their generation's nursing home any longer. And we really want to emphasize that communities are there to ensure independence and dignity and living and continuing with socialization and brain function, which is so important. The other thing I'll mention is this could go one or two ways. If the parent is single or they've been at home alone a long time, they're widowed, or if they're a couple. So the widowed spouse who maybe has been at home for the last five, six years and has become very isolated and unsocial, doesn't drive anymore. The factor that being around other people and new people is incredibly even more intimidating than just making the move. So it's really important to show them that actually they will likely thrive in an environment where they are around people that are the same path in life as they are, uh, their peers and it takes a little bit to come out of their shell, but people really do thrive when they've been living alone for a long time. And, so, and, I, and I do want to note that the number of nursing home beds in the United States has not increased in the last 20 years. But the number of other communities and opportunities is huge. And I do think we fail to realize that there are numerous options that are not nursing homes. Nursing homes are providing a much higher higher level of skilled nursing care that's different. 
and particularly as our parents are living substantially longer. Absolutely. You you can pretty much as a guideline for the adult children, if your parent is not bed bound or if they do not have a medical condition that requires 24-hour medical supervision, then assisted living is a very, very likely option for their parent. Melissa, as you know from an email exchange we had the other day, you you said something that I thought was very interesting, which was that these are communities and you should think of them as communities. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, we lightheartedly refer to it as not using the F word and referring to the word facility because assisted living communities are not facilities. As you mentioned, they are communities. You have well, it my apart- children refer to our house as a facility, so let's not go too far. <laughs> well, then they might like the senior living community. Then. <laughs> um, you do use the whole community. You have an apartment of the size in which you choose, and that's where Paige comes in uh, to help with the things that will fit and the things you want to take with you. But the entire community is your home, the dining room, the living space, all the other activities that take place there. And as I mentioned, mentioned earlier about the socialization aspect of being around other peers is huge when it comes to being a community. That doesn't necessarily happen in a facility in which the definition I just gave about being bedbound or needing a medical attention. Those are not things that you're going to gain in a community setting. And Paige, as folks make this transition and you help them from a house full of things to presumably a smaller apartment or or standalone mm-hmm. place in, in one of these communities. Do you have any tips on how to think about what you should leave behind and what you should seriously consider taking with you? Because you can't presumably can't fit, it all in. fit it all into what is going to be most likely a much smaller living mm-hmm. qu- quarters. I'm a huge advocate of senior move managers and those with space planning um, abilities and skills, and especially their some who are fantastic with, they will look at how your art's set up, find the wall where everything will fit on it. Say it's a gallery wall or many pieces of art. They will set everything up that first day when you move into your new place so it resembles home as much as possible, even down to putting your toiletries on the sink in the way that is most familiar to the parent. So in that instance, for moving more into communities and smaller places, I always suggest talking with a senior move manager who has space planning abilities. And then also in terms of- Or an OCD child. Or that too, who can scale everything. Exactly. And then talk through emotionally. It is a process to determine what you're willing to let go with, but let someone relive the memories and then be realistic about what will fit and let someone else enjoy that product, that item. One of the things that I've realized there is much more of than I expected is hoarding. Um, Mm-hmm. Whether, I don't know whether it's called psychology or, or that. Aggressive collecting. Aggressive collecting. That's <laughs> a politer way to say it. Um, have you dealt with that? And if so, how does how do you deal with that mm-hmm. both for the person who is aggressively collecting and for those who are facilitating a move? Right. And there are different types of hoarding and the types of collecting or piles, if it's true hoarding, can determine determine or can give insight into where the person is mentally also and what was important. So what we will do in that instance is for everything but the house, sometimes we'll work with a professional and who can really help the person who's still living in the home deal with it. But oftentimes we leave that to a professional to 
helps with hoarding specifically. When you say a professional, what type of professional? There um, are people who deal with the emotional aspect and of, ho- of hoarders and helping them determine and sort through the home. But then we can help with sellable items really once the person has got to that point where they're ready to sell. And we, pa- Paige, can you walk us through sort of the process very quickly as to what Mm-hmm. your company does the service they provide. I've taken a look at your website. It's it's fascinating to go scrolling through that and see what's available and the fact that you can ship anywhere in the world. So we are the perfect solution when there are adult children who are out of town or the executive and estates out of town or the adult children are just busy. They might even live in town and that house is on the market or you need to empty it and prepare it to sell or strip the old wallpaper and paint it with new neutral colors. So we are the solution to empty the home. And that includes sellable items, everything from cars, fine art, jewelry, all the way to the basic household furnishings, things in the garage to power tools. But then we can also help facilitate donation removal of everything that's donation quality and then trash removal as well. So our specialty is we are the service to empty the home but then also to get the best bottom line for everything in the home due to our large audience online. We talked a minute ago about some of the parents' concerns. So now I want to shift and we'll, we'll start, uh, Paige, ask you, t- tell me what some of the kids' concerns are about their parents leaving their house. The kids' concerns are, they know it has to be done also in so fight dealing with that emotional tug if there is one with their parents. Otherwise, the kids' concerns can also be, well, one per- child wants something and this, another child wants the same thing too. So what is often people like about everything but the house is online transparency is that every sibling, as I alluded to earlier, ev- anywhere in the world has transparency to what's going on in that home, what's decided to have been sold, what's happening. But also something about everything but the house is that we do not price any items. Everything starts at a dollar and there is never a reserve. That encourages the biggest number of bidders to come in, which benefits the seller, but it also gives every sibling a fair opportunity. Everything starts at a dollar. Everyone has an opportunity to jump in and and pay a fair price. Do you, do you have any sense of how often siblings might actually be bidding against each other for uh, an item? It sometimes, it doesn't happen as much as we think at that point, or as much, but it helps them get to the real, realization of being comfortable with the process and really what's best. And then oftentimes they realize, you know what, I don't really want that piece as much as I thought I did. Or, wow, that's worth so much more. Who's Who and wherever in the world is willing to pay that much will gladly let it go. And, and I do want to mention this. So so in our business at Gaslowitz Frankel, we deal on the dispute side. And we often deal with people fighting over money and inheritances and how the businesses are run. But you would be amazed how often we fight over personal property. And one of the things is that a lot of it allegedly or actually is given away during lifetime. So it's no longer there. And a child says, well, mom gave that to me and that creates fights. Or they said that mom promised it to me because this was important to my child, ABC. And it is interesting when we see the disputes, how many things were promised to different children, but they're the same thing. And it creates disputes that actually aren't over money. It's over memories. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask the same question to you, Melissa. What are the children's concerns when they're trying to get their parents out of the house and maybe their parents are resisting a bit or they're very nervous that they may have to pick up the tab? 
or make a decision the parent doesn't like? What are their concerns? The path would go two ways. One family who is trying to, quote unquote, convince the parent that it's time to go and they're trying to plan ahead. Their concerns are going to be more like the size of the apartment. Oh, mom cannot take a studio. There's no closet space. It's too small. She needs to have a porch. There needs to be a pool. There. So those kinds of things are happening if the parent is trying to convince the, excuse me, the adult child is trying to convince the parent that it's on aesthetics. What we warn against in our job with the adult children is to say, it's not where you would want to live. Maybe you would like a lovely community with granite countertops and brand new, but that's not necessarily where mom or dad is going to feel comfortable. And the other side of it is an adult child who is dealing with a parent who's ill and needs care. Their concerns are going to be more about who's taking care of my mom? Who can I call in case things are getting worse? Are they going to call me? Will I have to move again? Their concerns are different. So it just depends on what stage the family is in. And one one of the, I think, issues is, or one of the realities is, most of the time, as, as you alluded to earlier, this happens because there's a crisis. Something has to be done right away. To the extent that folks want to pre-plan or at least start thinking about this transition. Say that again. Pre-plan. What would you suggest, what would each of you suggest be done at whatever time the pre-planning starts. My advice to them would have it be having the tar- hard conversation about the financial assets because until you know what you're dealing with financially, there's no when a crisis happens, you can't you have to have that starting point. There's no way we can take you and suggest and help you through different options if you have no idea how much you can pay for per month. Now, what what you didn't mention before is involving a financial planner, someone who manages the money. I'm presuming that's an important part of this. What's an important part is that the adult child has access. And they understand if they don't know the dollar amount of their parents' assets or exactly how they're divided, then they need to be, when it's time to have access, they need to be able to have that if they don't know specifics at that time. And and I dislike generalizations, but I think it's fair to say that that the, again, I'll say the greatest generation is often very reluctant or reticent to share their financial picture with family members. So if I'm correct in that, how do you suggest that that be addressed? And I do, I do want to mention when you talk about that, we always knee-jerk and assume that's because the parent doesn't want the kid to know how much money they have because then the kid will want the money. I'm actually seeing in my practice that oftentimes it's because the parent is embarrassed that they haven't saved or as they're aging, um, they've made a stupid decision or one that's upsetting. We have a lot of our elderly who are becoming victims of abuse and victims of scams, and they're embarrassed to admit they paid $50,000 when they didn't really have it for a roof that was never put on. So I don't think we should always jump in that it's just because they want to protect their money and don't want to say it. I think sometimes it's a little more than that. I did interrupt though, so Mm -hmm. tell us. Well, small steps, I would say, for example, asking to be uh, one of the... uh, people on the signature card at the bank. Um, That starts with perhaps the best way of easing into, again, like I said, having access when the time comes. Because 
people don't like to pre-plan and plan ahead. And this is a natural human thing. We don't want to face our mortality and the difficulties of aging. That's normal. And so again, as I mentioned earlier, it's the push of a crisis, a health scare, uh, someone who's recently become a widow, can't be alone, or location. That. And I do want to caution our, our listeners when we talk about being on the signature card. First, giving out passwords doesn't always work because passwords change. And when, if, when and if you're, not if, when your parents pass away, legally passwords you can't continue to use. But start perhaps with being able to get your own independent access just to see it, not necessarily to control it. And then the next step is to be able to to use the money, but I would strongly suggest talking to the banker and getting what's called a power of attorney access. In other words, you can sign for them, but you don't own the account. And the reason I say that is when if you go into a bank and say with your mom, can, you know, mom says, please put my daughter on the bank account so that we can spend the money, the bank will automatically make it a joint tenancy with rider survivorship. They will put both of you on the account as owners. And that's a real problem because those little small bank accounts sometimes don't have a huge amount of money, but now you've moved out of the house or you sold it or it's a brokerage account and suddenly the majority of assets are in that account and it's now going to pass outside, not to the people you intended. And a lot of people don't know that and it creates problems. So our listeners really need to focus on Make sure that you're helping your parent, not inadvertently creating a problem. And that that goes to the point made before about seeking professional assistance. Much of what we do is because people thought they were doing the right thing, but they have inadvertently messed up uh, an estate plan or they find out that an account is held in a way that it automatically goes to one child and not the other, despite what intentions were of, of the account owner. That's exactly right. So an elder law attorney is the type of practice that you want to seek out for these issues for your parents at this stage of life. And at times, a bad power of attorney can be worse than no power of attorney at all. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of challenges of preserving and managing your wealth. We are your hosts, Craig Frankel and Robert Port from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gasowitz Frankel. Our topic today is it's time for mom and dad to move out of the house. What should I do? And we have as our guests, Melissa Benton with Atlanta Senior Advocates and Paige Hall with Everything But The House. Now, Paige, I, I asked Melissa about what to do when it's not a crisis. So let's hear from you, from your perspective, you're dealing with possessions. What are the pre-planning things that you would hope people can accomplish before they call you or after they call you, you, you walk them through the steps? It's very important for them to know what they are keeping and what the children are keeping because we really can't help our pro start our process and help them to empty the home until that decision has been made of what they are keeping. And oftentimes, another component of how we can be helpful is as you're talking about which community you're moving into or what you're doing, or if your home is on the market, having that extra money and that financial return from having your estate sale and your moving and downsizing sale, that provides the ability to put a down payment on where you're going next or to be a little bit more flexible in the 
price that you'll take on your home. So sometimes when it is a crisis also, that gives you that extra cash right there to make that important decision when it's needed within 30, 60 days or so. And of course, the house will sell better if it's less full. Yes, we see that all the time. And it's not a surprise. If you think about it, you know it's intuitive, but that's true. Houses, it is oftentimes much better to sell everything and then have the home professionally sparsely staged in a manner that works and the home will sell quicker. And in the long term, that's better. Now, if the parent is still living at home, because we do work in that situation often, as long as he or she knows what is being kept and you've maybe worked with an organizer or a child to help delineate and mark those items, we often come in times and work. And it's, it is a very, it's not as invasive as people think. And because we don't open the home up to the public, it's less invasive for the parent. And we just have a few employees who are very caring and knowledgeable in the home. And our employees often get hugs at the end of the process. And um, tell our listeners what you do when they're when they call you. Mm-hmm. I'm presuming not everyone is eligible for what you do, given the type of possessions they have or their mm-hmm. needs or demands. So walk us through that a little bit. So the process is that you would reach out to me or another um, colleague of mine anywhere in the country. We are in 27 cities. So that is helpful if anyone is listening in Atlanta, but your parent lives in another city where we have a presence. And what we do is we talk through what your time frame is, how much time you have until the home needs to be empty. Our idea Deal situation is 30 to 45 days, but we can work as quickly as two or three weeks to have the home empty. So what is your time? No, no, frame? say that again. Most people think this process is substantially longer mm-hmm. or substantially easier. Mm-hmm. Um, the time frame you talk about actually is a pleasant surprise to me. So say it again. So our ideal time frame is 30 to 45 days to have a house empty. We can do it in as quickly as two to three weeks if there is a crisis situation or if the home is all of a sudden under contract. So 30 to 45 days, ideally. And what happens at the beginning, again, initial conversation, ask for your time frame, what your deadline is. And then also we do have some general minimums because of the exposure of the website. So I talk through what are the items that you do have to sell? What, how many items do you have to sell? What are the categories? Because on everything but the house and on our website, it's a similar process to you're walking down the sidewalk and what's in that window that draws people in. So what are those key items that make people come in and want to scroll through your sale? And someone in Spain bids on something she didn't even know she wanted when she was looking for jewelry, but she'll buy a set of silver or china. And it really is fascinating. I do want to give a little plug for everything but the house. So my brother-in-law recently bought a house. And he had lived in New York. So he had, I think, eight square feet that he was living in. <laughs> and now he was living in a house. Uh, look at everything but the house. There are amazing things that you can get on auctions. And millennials, that's kind of what they do. Auctions is the way to go. And it really is kind of amazing. Switching to Melissa, I you, you gave us a list of the things that are the most crucial when potential uh, clients come to you to start looking for a community. And although this was number two on your list, I really think it's number one. What are the cost range? That's exactly right. What does it cost? But even before that, as I mentioned earlier, it's where do I begin? So our initial call with a family generally is between 45 minutes and an hour. We are dispersing to them information after we hear from them what their particular situation is. Why are you calling us today? There is a reason. So once we get down to that, then we can know how then to explain the situation to them in a way that will help 
did the understanding. It's amazing to us how many calls, and I would say over 80% of our calls, these adult children have been dealing with this situation either as a caregiver capacity or just worrying about it, staying up at night through doctors, hospitals, social work, no one's taken the time to sit down and explain anything to these families. And even just having a conversation and saying, your mom does not need a nursing home. This is an assisted living situation. Have you ever been to an assisted living community? Tell us, tell our listeners what the difference is between a nursing home, an assisted living community, or an independent living community. An independent living community independent living actually is a very broad term. It can be a 55 and over community, active adult community. Sometimes they're labeled independent communities that we work with are a building which residents have an apartment. They may or may not have services from that building, say meals together or activities. That's independent living. You may or may not pay for utilities in your apartment. It just depends. Now, assisted living in a large community, you see these big, beautiful structures going up all around Atlanta. They uh, provide care if one needs it or when one needs it. You don't have to move to assisted living if you don't need any kind of assistance yet. But it's a good idea, again, to plan ahead in case down the road you do need assistance with bathing. You do need medication management. One of the biggest reasons that seniors get sick, things go off the rails, so to speak, is because their medication, they're taking the wrong pill at the wrong time or too much or too little. And that even that alone, managing that um, is really important for a family. Family. So um, assisted living is there to provide assistance when needed. And, and do facilities have where you can start off, so to speak, as independent living and then when and if a need arises, shift into the assisted part? That is exactly where we come in and explaining all the details of how the senior living industry works. So the answer is if you choose an independent living community, no, you will not be able to get care later and you will either need to bring hire a private home care company to come in or you will need to move. Our goal is to have a family move the least amount or zero times possible. Every, every move, there is a slight decline. And so we want to manage that appropriately by giving the right advice. So yes, if you can live in an assisted living and be independent. And many residents are very social. They go out and go shopping and go to the movies and go out to lunch and, and they have that life still, but it's there down the road if that is going to be a need. And it's the same thing with memory care. I just want to add this. If your parent has dementia or has been diagnosed with some type of dementia or cognitive impairment, that does not mean your parent needs memory care. That does not mean that you need to move them to a memory care community or a memory care neighborhood of assisted living. Over 80% of residents that live in assisted living have some type of dementia or cognitive impairment. So, so does everyone in this room. That's, <laughs> I know I have my moments. So Melissa, I'm assuming that a good bit of your time or your colleagues' time is spent visiting facilities so you can identify and understand exactly what they provide. Yes, our advocates work in the field. So we are in these communities. And by the way, personal care homes, I want to mention, residential personal care homes are the alternative to these big, large communities you see being built in Atlanta, a little less expensive. However, our advocates do go with the family to go tour with them and the options that we provide to them. 
you have to remember the uh, bit of the ugly side of this is senior living is a business. It is a for-profit business and there is a sales process that goes on. And that's why we are there on the family side to mitigate that quite a bit and shield them from that sales process to get to not only just the bottom line dollar cost of what things um, will mean for them in the future financially, but to educate them on what they need to look for um, and care. What, what are you seeing around the building? What are red flags? What does a good building look like and why? So you've, you've mentioned, and we've mentioned a few times here, cost. One of the things we hadn't mentioned is long-term care. So I'd want to remind our listeners to determine whether such policies are out there for your loved ones. But let's hear from each of you what the cost of your services is, because that also needs to be figured into the equation. Paige? We typically work on a flat commission fee. There are no upfront costs at all, and a lot of families appreciate that. So we take a commission at the end of the process. There can be an additional fee for trash removal, but typically that's it. So there are no out-of-pocket costs at all. We like to present a check at the end of the process. At Atlanta Senior Advocates, our service is completely free to the families. The way we keep our phone lines on is we are paid a flat rate referral fee if someone chooses to move to a community or personal care home. That does not in any way increase the cost to our families on a monthly basis. It is a one-time fee. However, I want to add that we provide a lot of information and services and referrals to other needs, like we mentioned, elder law attorney, hospice companies, home care. None of those referrals are in any way a financial benefit to our company. We vet those companies that we refer to, want to make sure our families have good experience so that every call we take, we can at least give them a next step. Not everyone certainly needs to move and is not in their best interest to move. Let me me put you on the spot. Can you give us a range of what an assisted living facility costs in the Atlanta area? Absolutely. So for assisted living, it's typically broken down into a cost for an apartment and then a cost, separate cost for care put together for one monthly rate. And generally speaking, assisted living apartments can start at $2,800 to $3,000. And then on top of that, the resident is assessed for what kind of care they need, i.e. what kinds of tasks do they need assistance with? Is it dressing? Is it bathing? Is it medication management? And to what level the time is spent of the caregivers, and that's how they determine the cost of your care. So after that evaluation is made, you'll know um, more specifically, but you can count on around $3,200 to $4,000 a month for assisted living. And and what has been the historical increase in that over time? Because we're talking about a situation where someone need to may need to be in a community uh, or, or a nursing home for 10, 15, 20 years given current longevity. What what should people think about in terms of the, I won't say expected, but historical increase in that pricing? Because that's not going to be static. That's correct. In the Atlanta market, there's going to be a big change because there's continually more building and more that you're saying competition so maybe lowering of prices or is it raising of prices we sir and we hope so we hope it's it's lowering prices but more important for us it's raising the bar and care so especially in the outer line counties where Forsyth, Gwinnett, Hall County, Cherokee County, a lot of folks are bringing their parents here. As we've mentioned, a lot of people have moved to Atlanta over the last 20 years and their parents live elsewhere. And so bringing their parents here, a lot of those communities
communities um, serve those type of families. But in terms of cost, you have another option of a big community, and that's a residential personal care home, and those costs are lower. A big community is not for everyone. If you have COPD and you have a very difficult time walking down to the dining room three times a day, an elevator long quarter, that's not going to be a right fit for you, which is where we come in helping to explain that small home environment is going to be much better for your parent. That's going to be less. Those costs start around 3000 and tend to be all inclusive, which is great in planning for the future. So you know exactly how much you're going to be able to cost um, pay per month. So look, we're nearing the end of our show page. I'm going to ask you a funny question. What's the oddest or most interesting thing that you have had to sell for a family that is uh, downsizing. This story came from one of my colleagues and I love it. And it is where the situation where the parents and the family thought that their oak dining room set was worth so much money and based on what they paid for it and it's solid oak. And because, as I mentioned earlier, we don't put any reserve pricing on anything, but the flip side is with our audience of over a million registered bidders around the world, we have a fair sampling to get fair market value, if not more in an auction environment. But we had to overcome that with the family of what's realistic for this. We finally got them on board. Trust our process. It works. There will be other things that sell that you would not have thought would have sold or you might have donated or thrown away. Well, when all was said and done, there was a collection of about 25 beer cans from the 50s and 60s that went for over $2,500. And it shocked everyone. But that's what you get with our services. Two people around the world saw one beer can in there for some reason that they each wanted and it gave that competition. So that was crazy. The family was thrilled, shocked. Okay, Melissa, you get a, a question like that too, but it's going to be a little off the wall. <laughs> Tell me about the best family, the most functional family, the most success that was just the easiest that you've ever had to deal with. Well, there are plenty of successes. I don't know if any family is completely functional and perfect, um, but it is quite a joy at the end of the day uh, to have that adult daughter usually just take a sigh of relief and say, I know my parent is okay. That is what is the gift in it for us is just knowing that we have truly made a difference in uh, both a resident and that adult child's life. So. Okay. We're now towards the end. So Melissa, starting with you, if uh, any of our listeners want to get in touch with you to uh, use your services, how do they go about it? The best way to reach us is to call us. We will have to talk to you in order to get what's happening with your situation. Our phone number is 404-271-3555. You can visit our website, which is atlantaseniouradvocates.com, where you can find information, also an email submission if you prefer email. And Paige, same question. How do our listeners get in touch with you? I would say the first step is to go to our website, which is ebth.com, as in everything but the house. So start there, but then our number as well, no matter where you are in the country or where your parents might be, is 888-862-8750. And again, that's 888-862-8750, and we will connect you with the best person in your area. And if I could put in a plug for... Uh pages, uh, website, everything but the house. I'd, I'd suggest our listeners just go and search around on it a little bit. It's, it's just fascinating to see what's there and it's, uh, very easy to use and, uh, seems to be a fabulous way to, to dispose of these possessions rather than, uh, putting up a sign that says yard sale or exactly 40 it's the trips way to go. back and forth to Goodwill. Although I'm sure plenty of 
worthwhile things end up with the appropriate charity. Mm -hmm. As we're wrapping up our show, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gesselowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gesselowitzfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at A State Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Melissa Benton, co-founder and president, Atlanta Senior Advocates, and Paige Hall, sales specialist, everything but the house. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. (music) 